Bienvenido a episode 16 with Chef Antonio Park. My name is Jonathan Margell, and you are listening to the Behind the Founder podcast. Such a fun episode today with one of my very dear friends, my favorite chef in the world, my neighbor, Uncle Antonio Park. <laughs> Hermano, we did it. We recorded an episode together. We're going to talk about Antonio's Latino roots, his favorite restaurants, dishes, cuisines. We're going to chit chat about the partnership with Air Canada, what's coming next, and our trip to Japan together. Captain Kaplan, what am I listening to right now? I hear a little didgeridoo, little Australian vibro chills, maybe a cargo concert. Who even knows with you anymore, man? I guess this one's a little bit more worldly, eh? But really feel good, John, bro. Thank you. Every week, the sickest music, 16 episodes deep, 16 sick intros, 16 sick outros. And if you're lucky, you get another one sandwich in the middle, little Oreo. Anyways, enough with the pleasantry. Let's get into the interview. There's so much fun in store for you. Let's go. Che Antonio, Hermano, welcome to episode 16 of Behind the Founder podcast. It's such a pleasure having you join us today. It's a pleasure, buddy. Pleasure, Jonathan. Did I say Che Antonio correctly? Pablo said it mean like bro Antonio yeah, in yeah, Argentina. Yeah, you said, it, you said it well. Che. Che. My wife and parents, they definitely know that the path to my heart is through food. I'm so blessed for a great friendship. Thank you again for, for being part of this today. Thank you, Jonathan, for having me. So nice of you to think about me that way. And I love you too. <laughs> it's a bromance. <laughs> One of my goals for this week's episode, it's to have fun. I mean, I, I can imagine you've been on many different interviews, TV shows, podcasts, other media outlets. You and I are friends. We've spent a lot of time together. We've traveled together. We, we get together often. We speak often. I want to get through some interesting topics kind of in, in a different lens together because of the relationship that we have and, and just have, have a good time. And, and it's so much fun. I'm really excited about all these different topics. There's not too many. I know you're a busy guy, so we're going to keep it under an hour, but we can go longer if you want to. Park, Café Bazin, Fly Gin, Campai Garden, Jatoba, Le Cathcart Food Hall, Chopped Canada Judge, Air Canada Culinary Partner, Park Catering. You're such a legend, bro. Let's start with you telling the lovely listeners who you are, where you grew up, and your path to success. My parents, my mom and my dad, they're South Korean. Uh, they immigrated to Argentina. I was born in Argentina as a, as a Korean Argentinian. Uh, obviously, there's kimchi in my blood, so there will always be kimchi and, and garlic in my blood because kimchi and garlic is like the common cultural food for South Korea. But the memories that I have, is, it's a little bit different from what I see. It's like all my memories is connected to a different thing. You know, My childhood has been always about beef, cow, um, you know, empanadas, milanesas, chorizos, mollejas, you know, like, like, like I've, I've grown my life eating Argentinian, South American food, not only Argentinian, Argentinian, Brazilian, Paraguayan, asado. So I grew up eating these foods. So 
it's kind of like a bit different from from any Korean because I was born in, in South America and, and I, I accepted and I adapted their culture before adapting uh, the Asian culture because the Asian culture did not exist uh, when I was growing up. I was, you know, I grew up with a with a nanny who was a Paraguayan Argentinian and I, I, I grew up with their family. I grew up uh, eating like them. I grew up uh, going to school like them. I grew up, uh, well, I, I'm not going to say like them. It's, I, I am a, I'm, a, I'm a Latino at the end of the day, so I became a Latino. So the, the, the way that is a little bit different is that I had to understand Korean. I had to learn Korean language because of my father. Uh, my father went to the army and w was a very difficult Korean man. Uh, like every old school Korean man, they were very difficult. But I, I think they wanted the best out of their children. And that's where I am today. I think uh, I'm a result of how much my mom and my dad uh, pushed me, pushed me to uh, to succeed. I don't know if it was if the word is succeed or just to be uh, a good, just just to be a good human being. I think that's what they wanted me to be. They wanted me to be a positive person, never give up, just push. Because I've seen that growing, right? All my life I've seen my <laughs> them going through shit I wasn't even expecting. And the more I think about it now, about their past, I'm like very shocked, right? So they've been through very difficult times in their life. And, and I've seen that growing and you know, from racism to beyond cultural differences, uh, you know, going to a third world country. Uh, which is Paraguay, Brazil, and Argentina back in the days in the seventies. You know, it wasn't. It was never easy. What I really, really respect is you know really hold their breath and just keep on moving forward, even though there's like hard times in front of them. So, and what drove you to cooking? Oh, that's my mom. That was my mom. She was always the the cook. The funny thing about this that I never told anybody is that it's not only me. I, I was thinking about this. I said, oh, my mom made me love food made me love to cook and then i thought about this this is the funniest thing is that i we, we used to have a, a place called lavanderia and that's why the restaurant lavanderia was born lavanderia is a laundry mat where like, my mom my parents used to do uh laundry washes for uh acid stone wash jeans for lee wrangler like many washes like you could say like 50 to eighty thousand washes a day thousands a day so they're, they're like washing and putting things together and things like that but the, the you know when you have fifty thousand jeans drying at the same time on the sun you need to have a big back backyard and it used to be like acres and acres of land in the backyard and in the back 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 end of it uh there used to be a farm where my mom used to farm like zucchini things that grows very easily during the summer zucchini cucumber tomatoes, watermelon, those chisel leaves, sesame leaves, different kind of like summer squash, uh, different kinds of like carrots. My mom was a, just, she loved just cultivating things. And she used to tell me to go get vegetables. But I, what I remember, and what, that, what I didn't say to anybody was like, I always used to go in the back, pick up some zucchini and cucumber and bring it back for her and help her peel the garlic, peel the, you know, the onions you know take out the skin of the onions you know i used to do that but but i what i remember is i used to have people working so there there used to be like tens and tens of people working at lavanderia but all the girl all the ladies who used to cook who used to work in lavanderia they all knew korean food they all knew how to make kimchi so we were all gathering together and they're not korean by the way you know they're paraguayan there's argentinians some of them are brazilian so we're all gathered together in this big pot of bowl where you're marinating your kimchi, you're putting things in the kimchi together. So 
thinking about it today is my mother my mother actually cultivated uh, a seed in their head like she cultivated a seed in, in my head that you know when you make food from your heart and when you make food like from you know farm to table and all that is just just beautiful and delicious but on the other hand they really made everybody love korean food which was very very special and if we look at you know the biggest part of of what you've built sushi is definitely very high up on the list why sushi antonio uh i like sushi i love uh, i did i wasn't a big fan of sushi when i was young my sister started working in a restaurant in a sushi restaurant and then i started working without having any interest really just you know i started working as a i always wanted to work as a as a cook i always wanted to be a chef uh, in the future so i started actually working in a dishwasher at a buffet uh, at a chinese buffet doing some walk and fry, fry rice and things like that and uh, one day i fell upon my sister's uh the restaurant where she was working so i started working under a certain chef and a japanese chef and he was very very strict he you know i i, I learned how to eat raw food because i wasn't a fan of raw food and i started eating you know some sashimi giri and maki and i kind of like fell in love and start going at uh, slowly understanding the cultural side of uh, Japanese food, uh, respecting the cultures and respecting the ingredients. I love just the simplicity of being able to, you know, enjoy and respect its original shape and taste and flavors of the ingredients. And that's what Japanese cuisine is all about. Japanese cuisine about is about uh, showcasing the natural flavors of the ingredients. So I fell in love with it. How did your family end up in Montreal? Uh, they end up in Montreal because they came from uh, 1990, I think it was 1989, 90, around that time. Um, my There was a very bad uh, economy crisis in Argentina, also in Paraguay, also in Brazil, and all these places were not doing so well economically. And, you know, we were about to get into the uh, high school. It was already high school. I was already in high school. I, I got into high school. My parents didn't like the education so much. They, they, they wanted to do something better for us, for me and my sister. Uh, so uh, they decided to apply. My, my aunt was living in Dallas, Texas. My, um, her other friends, my parents' friends were living in Australia, some of them in Canada. They applied for immigration for three countries, and Canada was the first country that accepted us. On our document, it said that we were supposed to immigrate to Winnipeg. But we immigrated to Vancouver. We stayed in Vancouver for a little bit above six months. It wouldn't stop raining. So that's why my mom and my dad, uh, they decided to come to Montreal. And they said, oh, it's perfect. You know, you guys already have uh, Latin language uh, vocabulary in your brain. So I think going to Montreal is going to be good. You're going to be able to learn another language also, which is French. And I really do believe that every single language uh, equals a million dollars in your pocket. It's like, you know, it's, it's a big, big thing that uh, a lot of people don't realize. Language is, breaks all barriers, you know. Language is what opens up uh, towards uh, conversations, businesses. Yeah, it's just great. So, How many languages do you speak? Well, speaking is different than writing. So I, I, I can communicate easily in, you know, obviously Spanish, Portuguese, Korean, English, French, Japanese, but the writing is a bit more difficult. Portuguese and the Japanese side is a little bit, you know, I kind of like have difficulties on that one. But every other language, I'm easy to uh, write and talk at the same time. 
That's at least four to six million dollars in your pocket in languages. Eh? <laughs> <Let's> <laughs> I'm not that good at math, but that's Yo, a lot of languages, buddy. Yeah, but it's not. But it's not. It's not like you know. A lot of people say like, "Oh, wow, you speak like multiple languages. You speak like six languages." But like, like, and I was like, "I'm, I'm like, well, it's not very difficult." If you live in those countries, I was forced to study, to go to school, to, to be able to like speak French. You know, I got like, like I went, I was in the, I was in French school. I went to Brazilian, you know, Portuguese school. I went to Spanish school. I went to English school. I went to uh, Korean school. I went to Japanese school. So I had no choice to pick it up. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't something that I pushed myself on picking it up. You know? So I, I got very, very lucky on being able to live in so many different countries. If you weren't a chef, what profession do you see yourself doing? Sports athlete, that's for sure. Um, I, I love sports. Probably a soccer player, which which was my dream for till I was a, a kid. I remember, I remember going to uh, school. We started school every day like around six a.m. in South America, right? In South America, you gotta understand that we start school very early, which is around six a.m. We sing the national anthem. By 12 o'clock lunch, every, every classes are over. And then you go home and by 1 o'clock, everybody's doing their siesta, right? <laughs> <They're sitting> in... <laughs> my, my friend Pablo will know that. <laughs> from, yeah. one from 1 to 2.30 till 3 o'clock, and call, it's called the siesta time. So siesta means you go sleep because <laughs> it's too hot. <laughs> I don't think, uh, I, I don't think that, that culture actually stayed. I think that, that that whole culture kind of changed with the new generation of, you know, business oriented people wanting to make more money, people wanting to be more successful. I think that that culture kind of like that disappeared, but not not only in the city though. In the suburbs, I don't think that I still think that the culture still uh, exists. So when I finish at twelve o'clock my classes, from twelve to six I used to play football every day, sometimes till eight p.m. Not even eating. <laughs> just, just play all day long. <laughs> I, at one point, I had like my shoes were like you know, ripping off. Okay, you're always playing football, so your shoes are gonna rip off. So I used to play like I used to get a plastic bag or a garbage bag and wrap it around my shoes because I didn't want the sand to go in there. And I used to play soccer hours and hours and hours. Sometimes without without shoes. I'm going to do that with my sneakers when it's a schmutzy day. Put some yeah. uh, some garbage bags on them. <laughs> smart, smart. Prolongs the sneaker. Yeah. Why have you remained in Montreal throughout all the years? Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a question that I asked myself too. I was asking myself that question last time. Uh, it's because I love Montreal. I think Montreal is a very unique city. First of all, I, I've traveled a lot from different countries to, you know, different cities in the States, North America, South America, Asia, Europe. Uh, there's no place like Montreal, you know. The, the cost of living is not so expensive compared to so many different places. But the one thing that I like about here is that uh, it's very different. It's like 50% like, it's like European, 50% North American. But you still have a lot of different immigrants. You still have a lot of Asians living, you know. Uh, you still have a huge ton of group of, you know, the, the, the Filipino population, the Cambodian population, Laotian, Vietnamese, Korean, Japanese. Well, Korean and Japanese, very, very little. Uh, the Chinese population, which is the dominant Asian population, obviously, you know that. 
And then, but but the other on the other thing that I see is like we have a lot of Latinos here too, so a lot of South Americans, a lot of Colombians, Venezuelan, uh, Peruvian, um, Argentinian, Brazilian. So we have a lot of uh, different culture mixed together in one city where it's like very European slash North American. I just love the city, and it's, the summer is beautiful. Obviously, the winter is cold, but you get a Canada goose. That's it. Hey, right. okay. it's winter is cold. I'm working. I'm inside working, <laughs> so <laughs> I don't complain. <laughs> from both a cultural and culinary perspective, what makes Montreal different from the rest of Canada? I don't think it makes it different. I just make, I don't know how to compare from Ontario, British Columbia to Montreal. Uh, when it comes to food, is food has no language, food has no barriers. So we kind of like all like see each other, what we do, copy each other. Uh, you know, push each other, you know, which is a great, great way to advance the culinary world in this country. But uh, Montreal, just because it's more French and it has a lot of weird different things also, like, like you know, we use a lot of maple syrup, which is great, which is very healthy. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> which is healthy. It's healthier than sugar. Yeah, we use a lot of maple syrup. Uh, is, that, is, that, is that very different from all over... Montreal, I, I don't think it's different. I just think it's um, different when it comes to like the cultural side because it's very European. The rest of the Canada does not have that Euro- European touch, does not have that French side, does not have that, 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 that bonjour, you know, bonjour Montréal. You know, we can, it, Montreal is the only place where you can, you can come, you can go to any stores, in any building, you can meet any friends and say, hey, bonjour. You can't say that in Toronto. You can't say that in Vancouver. So we're very unique. Where I want to say we're very unique. What trends do you see happening in Montreal food culture today? There was a lot of full food trend and cultural things that was going to change. And there was going to be a lot of nice things coming in in the future. Uh, there was a lot of restaurants opening. A lot. But uh, all this excitement got killed by COVID. You know, COVID uh, took it over and it disappeared with it. Uh, so right now, I think... Since the since the COVID came in and since coronavirus attacked us, we're changing different ways. We're 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 seeing different ways. We're changing different ways of doing things. We're thinking outside of the box. Things that we've never ever thought before uh, are coming in change. So, so is that exciting? Uh, I don't want to say it's an exciting time for us. I think it's very very. It's a devastating time for all the restaurateurs, but. But there's, there, there will be some positive things that's happen, and there's keep on pushing. Everybody's pushing towards positive things, making things happen. But the one beautiful thing that it did is it brought us all together. You know, it brought us all together and let us push together. So a big part about what I'm doing with the podcast is I, I want to get people listening more involved. And if they wanted to ask a question in advance of, of speaking to someone, send it in, etc., um, so I just want to bring up a, a specific topic from, from actually my first boss after I graduated university. So it's from Antoine and Antoine Foulon wanted me to ask you, you know, with respect to location, personally, I, I've, I come from a real estate background and, and the main rule there, location, location, location. Do you live by the same motto as a restaurateur? Uh, can you dictate location? By making a new area hot, do you only go into the hot areas? Can you talk about that balancing act? Well, I, uh, I, I do understand that, and I do understand the, 
the principle and the idea behind location, location, location. I think things are changing in the real estate world. I think a lot of things are changing, not only in the real estate world, but a lot of things are changing when it comes to operations, restaurateurs, chefs, just, just online business. So does it really matter what the location brings us? Yes, absolutely it matters. I want to say that locations is 50%, and 50% is a trend coming to a neighbor. So, so you build something that is new and something that is fresh in a neighbor that is not doing well, and you let others see that you're doing uh, well. Uh, and you, and you, whatever, you, once you become a destination in an area where it's not really a location, 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 then other people will follow you slowly. And once other people follow you, then people will start moving also into that area. A perfect example is before Saint-Henri, there was Mile End. You know? um, and Mile End is people that used to be going to Saint-Laurent. Saint-Laurent-Sherbrooke, where it was very, very populated and it died all, everything died around there. So he went to Mile End. Right now, Saint-Henri is really hot because a lot of people are moving to Saint-Henri. I also see the changes that's happening a little bit into that, uh, you know, Montreal West slowly. Uh, so there's a lot. It, it, there's, there's, I believe in both. I believe in trend setting. I believe in trend setting. And then I also believe in location, location, like when you have both of them combined together, then you have an ultimate location. Only difference and the huge difference that comes with it is money. When you have when you go to a place where it's triple A location, then you're gonna pay the triple A price. When you go to a place where there's trend setting place and you don't know that it's still gonna happen or not, then you're paying peanut location price. So it depends on how you see things and it depends what you're going for. Are you going to open a mom and pop shops where you're gonna be there forever? And don't get me wrong, it's not a bad business. If you're there, as, a, as a, if, you're, if you're opening a mom and pop shop and you're there every single day, because you have to be every single day there, and you're running the place, it makes sense. As much as it makes sense that you're opening a big place where you're going to have employees and running all the places, it makes, it makes both, uh, both places. But the, the location, I think, is slowly changing now uh, because of the, what happened to COVID. So... I certainly believe in the future that location, location, location will disappear. Special question from my business partner, Pablito. Yeah. What are your all-time favorite Brazilian and Argentinian dishes? I'm, I'm, I'm already hungry. Uh, <laughs> 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 I don't know, I'm already hungry. So I, I love the, so let, let's, let's start about the Argentinian ones. So if we go to the Argentinian ones, obviously there's there's I can't I can't think of anything else than like my chorizo. I love chorizo. I love Argentinian chorizo. I love so many different kind of uh, chorizo. It's just something that is in my blood. I love chorizo. I love sweet bread, mojejas, which is which is sweet bread is one of the uh, delicacies in in South America. Not a delicacy. We just eat it. I just love it. I love uh, chinchulin. Chinchulin is a little bit different. Chinchulin is like the intestines of, but I love intestines. So, so that's one of the things that I love the most. I love uh, mandioca, which is yuca. Oh, I love milanesa. I love empanadas. I love. I, I, why? I can't choose five. I like the answer, though. I like the answer. Do you do you cook any of those things at any of the restaurants now? Empanados, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well. Well, I used to have a lavanderia. I used to cook at everything in lavanderia. Lavanderia was open, so there is, it's like I can give you limitless answer to this. 
I can give you the Brazilian, <laughs> like, like, like chifa, the powder queso, which is like, which is like cheese bread, you know, uh, um, feijoada. Feijoada, I'm like, I'm like, every day I can eat feijoada. <laughs> like, like, I can keep on going and going and going and going when it comes to like Brazilian food and, and Argentinian and Argentinian food. South American food is just my past, right? So keeping everything Argentine, you know, what makes Argentina so special when it comes to meat? So, so I've actually tested different kinds of beef. I've tested the uh, Argentinian beef, the Uruguayan beef, the Brazilian beef, Japanese Wagyu, North American, American Wagyu, American beef, Cal- the, the beef from organic or non-organic beef from Canada. Uh, they all taste very, very good. How do you know the difference? The difference is that the Argentinian beef, uh, it's weird. This is why I tell you that is weird. Any other beef, when you cook it, when you overcook it, it just tastes tough. It just tastes tough and overcooked meat. Somehow, Argentinian beef, when you overcook it and when it's like medium well, it still tastes really good. <laughs> so I, I don't know how to explain, but that's, that is the truth. And you can ask any Argentinian, they'll tell you the same, you know. So in Argentina, they're cooking a lot of steak on charcoal, right? Yep. Is that unique there or there's many countries that end up cooking it the same way? Well, it depends on how you do it. There's two different ways, right? There's one that you put it on the grill, and then you cook it on top of the charcoal. And there's other other things that we call it the, the, the churrasqueria, which is like you put it all around, coating it, standing it, uh, cut, the, cut the cow in half, cut the chicken in half, let it hanging, let it put it on, like a wall, and then you make a big charcoal, and then it's slow, slowly roasting. Which comes from the idea also from the from the Guarani, Guarani, which is the Indians of the Paraguay and Indians of Brazil, the Indians of, uh, of Argentina, Northern Argentina. And they always cook it that way. So I don't know if a lot of people knew about the whole Argentinian barbecue or asado, uh, you know, churrasqueria parijada, but the original way is because the natives that are coming from there, they used to cook it like that and they learned from the natives. That's so cool. I, I actually, one of the funnier things I've seen in a while was on, on Instagram, they were showing a video of Messi with uh, Luis Suarez, I think in Messi's kitchen. And he just had like the full blown charcoal in his kitchen, like <laughs> like little charcoal <laughs> dome ready to cook. Uh, Pablo's like, yes, yes, this is very normal. This is uh, very popular in Argentina. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> like I've never seen that inside <clears throat> someone's kitchen. Oh yeah, oh yeah, very normal. This is very. This is like uh, you excite people. You're 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 getting excited even before the meat is on the grill. The meat is like it's it's happening. You're like it's a display. You're displaying the meat. <laughs> yeah, you're you're salivating before. This is the whole part of it. This is the whole part of what food is supposed to be, and but this is the whole part of what Argentinian food is all about. It's just a big seduction. Oh, my lord, I'm hungry. Being involved in so many different restaurants across the city, I'm curious to better understand who makes up your inner circle, how you put such a great team together. A lot of the times it's very, very difficult to put a team together, but most of the time what I'm doing, the way that I like to do things is uh, build my team at Park. So a lot of the staff comes from Park. Park is like my... Is that your university? It's beyond my university. It's my home. It's my home where, where I grow everything, even the staff, and I teach them everything that I can because it's the only kitchen 
really that I cook, to be honest with you. All these other restaurants that I have and all these other kitchens that I have, I do not cook there at all. They're all they all have their head chef and there's chef de cuisine, which is a great team that I have and I'm very thankful. But I train them most of the time at park. And when they're ready, I, you know, I, I, I see different um, possibilities and different uh, you know ways of, of seeing how we're gonna how I'm gonna you know bring them to the next level, right? Because they all have to grow. At the end, they all have to grow. You cannot always be a vice president. You have to be a president one day. You cannot always be. You know, there's there's different levels of archie in, in the kitchen, right? As everybody knows, there's like you know, kami, cuisinier, and then there's a there's a you know, garmanger, entreme, chef de partie, sous chef, chef de cuisine, uh, chef executive, chef proprietor. You know, there's different levels of things. So, I want them to really grow properly and do the right steps because it's very easy to overstep and jump to another level like a lot of the the change that what happened with the millennials right the millennials kind of like jump right they jumped above there's a lot of new money that came in because of the new rich that came in they made a lot of money through social media and a lot of to to, to online business but uh, in the kitchen is very hard to jump you can it's not hard you actually can jump very easily to from from garmanger suddenly you can become a sous chef but once you're there in the sous chef position, you will realize that you're not as strong as other sous chefs. So what do you do from there on? So instead of hurrying it up there, follow the rules, follow individually, go up gradually. You're building your foundation like any other business, right? How do you manage to scale and open so many amazing restaurants around the city and country? Uh, that's not me. That's the team. It's uh, the whole team that is behind and working together and and. It's, it's trust, is it? And also, it's luck. Huh? But uh, I always hear that luck comes with hard work. So, harder you work, luckier you get. It's not luckier you get, harder you work. So, I've been just trying to work hard, hard trying to build the right team, put the right team in position. Uh, have I failed? Absolutely. No, I'll fail. Like, I, I remember uh, talking to a very close friend of mine. I'm not going to mention his name, but he's a very famous actor. And he told me, listen, how many movies do I have? And I, and I said, I don't know. I, and he looks at me and he goes, I have over 100 movies. But how many out of those 100 have I succeeded? And then I said, I don't know. I know probably like 10 or 15 that is really, really, just, you became successful in that area. He's like, yeah, exactly. 85 actually didn't do well. But I never gave up. I kept on pushing. So I think it, it's not because you're living in a world of restaurant or any kind of business. It's how much you focus yourself to push and you will fail if you if you are afraid of failing. Then what's the point of living? You know, you got to risk to earn. Last time we were chilling, we we're chatting about your daily routine. How do you make sure that that all of your investments maintain the highest level of quality each and every day? By seeing every day, by going through every day, um, by checking up on every day, by checking up on everybody, making sure that everything is okay. Is that a tough job? Is that a tough thing to be able to do? Uh, wake up in the morning until 1 a.m. And, uh, you know, you st let's say you start at 8, 9, and then you have to go all the way till midnight and 1 a.m. Every day. You know, a lot of people say, they think it's a joke. It's not a joke. <laughs> it's like 15 hours a day, every day. Every day, every day. <laughs> it's a choice that you make, Jonathan. It's not, it's not you have to do that. It's not you're meant to do that. It's a, it's a choice you make. 
And my choices are, I've decided to get into all these businesses. I've decided to open all these doors. I've decided to hire all these people and train all these people. Then all those things come with, comes with a lot of responsibilities in your life. If you don't have the time to be able to nail all those responsibilities, then don't open it. You have a choice. So that's why I say it's a choice that you make on how much you want to spend time with the work, with cooking, with the business, with your family, with your children. It's a choice that you make. And I have made a choice to work hard, to never give up, to keep on pushing. Am I... Am I doing the, the, the right thing with all my family, my children, my business, my, my staff, you know, my family at work and my family at home? Am I doing the right thing? I don't know if I'm doing the right thing, but certainly I ain't giving up and I'm pushing myself positively. Just giving, giving time as much as I can. Am I burning my, myself? Absolutely I'm burning myself. And that's a fact. It's not like, you know, it's a fact. Can I stop now? No, I won't. And I can't. Actually, I can't. I can stop. I can stop whenever I want. Just take off the plug and just let it run on its own. But I refuse to stop because I, I, I have dreams. My dreams are, you know, unreachable. Like my mom says. My mom says your dreams are unreachable. But hey, if you cannot dream something that is unreachable, why are you dreaming? So that's a very important lesson. And for anyone listening, learn from that. It it doesn't only apply to the restaurant industry it it applies to your life i i've met a lot of people that never gave up and always worked like crazy are they successful today yes they're successful today are they successful in when it comes to what is exactly success in your life how do you define success in your life well success in your life a lot of people define as money as monetary so they're thinking about money and money about money values and a lot of people refers success as a family success, how you grew up, your children, things like that. The hardest thing to do is to be able to balance both of them. How do you balance both of them? I can't, I can't give you that answer because I cannot balance those two things myself. But success to me is to have a goal, to see a star and to run towards the star and never give up and never let nobody pull you behind. And I, when I say never and, and when I say nobody, I mean your parents your children, your friends, your, your, your surroundings around, your, your haters, your, your boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, your companion. It doesn't matter who is around. It does not matter. Because if you have a goal and you want to reach for the stars and you want to grab the star, and that, if that's success for you, then go for it. Because that is success for me. My success is not about having the most money. I, I can't make it. I'm going to go make it. That's what I tell everybody. And it is true. Jonathan, you're not going with any dollar in your pocket, but by the way, we're all going, you know, thank you very much. Uh, thank you. And then uh, we, we go up there again, or we go down there. It doesn't matter where you go, but we, we're, we're, we won't be alive once we die. We go. And we're not going with any money. We're not going with anything. We're going with memories. And the memories that I'm going to have is that I never gave up and I gave everything that I could. That I, that I can to be able to push myself to get there and to reach that sun or that star. Tonio, you're getting deep with me, man. This is- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Antonio, I've always wondered, what does the process look like for creating a new menu or, or a new dish? How much is involved in, in your experience? It involves, it involves different things. It's much easier for me to create a menu 
on on something that I already know, on something that I already feel comfortable, and then something that I already cooked many many times. So that's called repetition. So it, it, like cooking and like business and like programming software or online and everything, we as humans are always best when we do repetitions. So we, we we have practiced so many times, we become really good, like a soccer. If you keep on juggling your ball at the end of the year, you're going to be amazing at juggling balls. Food is exactly the same thing. More you cook, more you'll get the best out of it. It's not because I'm a chef and I'm cooking a dish for the 10th time that that dish is going to be better than your mom's that she cooked for more than 1,000 times. <laughs> Impossible. Impossible that, that a cook meal that he's going to cook on one day and he's going to say, oh, I'm going to be inspirational, blah, 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 and I'm going to start cooking. It's impossible that that recipe will beat your, your mom's, your grandmother's recipe. It's impossible because there's not enough sweat and tears. And my mom always calls it the hand touch of the recipe. So it takes longer times to be able to create a recipe that, I, that I'm not very familiar with, but it's much easier to create a recipe that I'm very familiar with. So... Uh, some recipes could I could make it in a couple of hours. Some recipes, it takes me more than one day. It certainly feels that Park has become a mandatory destination for any and all visiting celebrities, athletes. How, how do you think that that happened? I, I don't know if that's true, first of all. I, I think, you know... It's, it's, true, it's, park, it's true, it's true, it's true. Park, park is a little bit different. Park is, is, you come to eat food of my cultures. Park is, you know, the, the cultures of being a South Korean, going to school in Japan, living in Argentina, Paraguay, and Brazil, now living in Montreal, Canada, traveling everywhere, understanding all the food. But I think the destination where, where athletes, I don't know about actors and all that, but I know athletes will come to eat because, you know, I have a lot of different friends uh, that are athletes and they all, you know, supported me. At the end of the day, it's not me who's doing you know, who's, who's bringing all these people in. All I can do is just try to prepare a nice meal and be in, at the restaurant and to, to, to say hello when they come in, you know, to, to, to welcome them. I can do that and I can also, you know, cook a nice meal for them so they, they're welcome like home, like they're eating at home. But uh, at the end of the day, it depends. Uh, it, it's all about your friends, your, your surroundings, your people that is around that brings you all this uh, positive crowd and all these athletes that I'm very thankful to have them today, you know? I mean, we're not getting a lot in Montreal, so that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, last little question, just curious. Uh, do you maintain personal relationships with, with any of the athletes or, or A-listers that, that are coming? Uh, they all do. I all do. I all do. All of them. Most of the, most of the guys, you know, obviously, you know, we live in a world where I, I, I'm very busy right i'm always working i'm always running i'm always in the kitchen and, uh, and and if i'm not in the kitchen that means i'm the office uh doing paperwork and and things have to move on right you have you have to keep as i said when you have a lot of responsibilities when you open a lot of places there's other responsibilities that comes with it so I, by all, doing all that i don't have time to be updated to you know i don't have time to sit down and talk text all my friends and things like that but celebrities chefs uh, friends, athletes, singers, actors. Yes, I keep in touch. Uh, some of them are very close to me. Some of them are least close to me. But uh, once in a while, we send a message. We, 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 we send hearts to each other and 
we uh, we keep on moving the friendship, you know? Even though not that many people are flying around these days, I wanted to talk about your impressive and very unique culinary partnership with Air Canada for a couple minutes. Can you talk to me about how it all happened? So this, this goes way back. So it's been, right now, this summer is going to be one year that I'm in partnership with Air Canada already. Well, it's already been a year. Um, but uh, it's a conversation that we started about four years ago. I, I had many, many meetings with the Air Canada team uh, from the product line, uh, product development team, marketing team, and the main office team. And I, I had a sit down and we, we went through a lot of things. Obviously, you know, the result came in three years later. In any business or in any relationship or in any partnership, I want everybody to listen to this very, very carefully. We all have ourselves expectations. I do, you do, Jonathan, and everybody who's partnering up in the future, if there's two partners, there's two expectations. If there's three partners, there's three expectations. You must talk about these expectations. You must talk about everything that you want and you don't want because it's not just, hey, okay, I love you. I love your brand. I love my brand. You know, I love our partnership. Let's just be partners. Oh, it's going to be great. It's not as simple as that. You got to make sure that everything is on the same page. You don't get screwed. They don't get screwed. He doesn't get screwed. So you got to make sure that everybody is on the same page. And it's called communications. A lot of the people, what happens these, these times is people don't talk a lot. People don't have a lot of communication things going on. So... As Air Canada, it took me three years to get the contract and to be able to do it. Why did it take three years? Because I expected something, they expected something, it didn't work out. Well, it, it, always, it always worked out, but we weren't very comfortable. I wasn't very comfortable about the whole thing until uh, we both came with the same uh, expectations. So that's how it uh, came on board. And now I started doing, I started a year ago, I started doing Japan, uh, Montreal to Narita, and then I started doing uh, all, all, all Asia, when then we started attacking South America, Santiago, Chile, Brazil, and then now I'm thankful that I'm doing uh, North American flights also. You're doing North American flights from where to where? Yeah, we just started. We just, just recently started. It's a it's, it's couple of flights, but we're testing it. We're putting it together. Let's see what happens. I think it's no, all North American flights, to be honest. Can I go to Fort Lauderdale with uh, the park experience? I don't think so, because Fort Lauderdale, you guys fly red, no? Rouge. Ay, ay, ay. What about Miami? Can I fly to Miami and just rent a car and drive further to the condo? Well, Miami is Rouge, too. Yeah, Miami, they fly rules. You know what? Whatever. I'll come to the restaurant and I'll fly to Florida. It's okay. You know what? It doesn't even matter. Whatever. Yeah, that's it. But it's a great partnership and I'm very thankful. And I'm very thankful and I'm very uh, honored to be able to represent Canada on the air. Let's talk about that partnership and, and something that happened in the experience for a second. And boy, am I happy that you invited me to that party. Uh, I mean, if I actually think about it or talk about it and who better to talk about it than with, with you, it's, it's crazy. Uh, you know, texting me, please invite, you know, your parents, Daniela, come like big celebration, Air Canada park partnership relationship, big party at the restaurant. Like, of course I'm going to come. So what did I do? Cross the street. Uh, after I was done working at my office, which is literally across the street, 
And right away they're like, please, uh, what's your name and, and phone number like for the raffle? And okay, here's my name. Here's my phone number. What's the raffle? Don't worry about it. You'll hear about it later. I'm like, all right. The best food, the best sake, the best cocktails. It was like very intimate, like really, really, really good way to just go home after work. And I was, I was flying. I was so happy. And, and what happened? I won the raffle. Where did we go? <laughs> Went to Japan with Pablo and, and Pablo's family there and just Air Canada hooked it up so hard. It, like, what the, it was the last crazy thing I did before COVID, by the way, if, if, if you actually think about it, I, I, that was, that was the big one for me. And, and then we came home and we're just chilling, but what a, what a way to go out. Thank you for inviting me. eh? I was shocked. I was shocked that you won that raffle. I was like literally shocked. I was like, imagine if I went to Japan because I had to be there, right? I had to go out with you guys and eat and, and, and you know, I had to host you guys in Japan. So imagine if I went with somebody that I didn't even really know. <laughs> it was crazy. I mean, you could have been with the photographer for the Gazette, you know? Oh yeah, for sure, man. You didn't know. <laughs> You could have been. You could have been with a food blogger that really hates me too. <laughs> or, oh my! Imagine. <laughs> oh my god, man! Oh, it was so fun. Anyways, I I couldn't have dreamt of a of a sicker prize to ever win until the end of my life. Like if I'm gonna win one thing, and that's what it could be to to go with uh, with Pablo and you, and and then Corey came, uh, Japan. Thank you, Air Canada. And <laughs> Corey, <laughs> Corey, man. Oh, you're going to Japan with Park? Okay, cool. I'm coming. He oh, came Corey, right away. Oh. He wants to go. He came. Oh, oh my God, Corey. I mean, I haven't been to Japan yet. That was my first experience in the country, Tokyo. It's my favorite city. It's my favorite country in the world. It's probably my favorite culture. It's my favorite of many things. And I was so happy to go there. Why? Why is Japan so special to you? How do you feel when you go there? What? Why? What do they do differently that just makes you freak out and appreciate every single time? The respect for the craft, the respect for the culture, the dedication that they have the, to, to their country, um, the cleanliness, uh, the food. Oh, my God, the food. I can, skip on, just, I can keep on talking about the food the whole, all day long. But. <laughs> like, you're still hungry eh? unless you want to be a sado now you just want some sushi in tokyo the most important thing is the respect right that the respect that they have towards their culture is not like the respect that people have towards other cultures that that's, that's that's you have to respect something that is yours first you have to believe in something that is yours first you have to love yourself first you have to take care of yourself first before you can take care of any others so these are all rules and all kind of like the words that actually comes from Japan exactly because they care about themselves. They love themselves. They, they support themselves. They, 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 they don't, you know, they, they work hard. But, uh, you know, they, whatever they do, they always try to do the best of it. And that's a culture that, you know, it's a great example to, the, to, to humanity. But at the same time, it's a great ex example to all of us. I love feeling the same way every single detail that's why i love it and that's why i love it too i mean every single detail perfection perfection yeah yeah it's beautiful
I don't want to talk about it for too long because I have some fun stuff just around the corner to wrap up the conversation. Yeah. But I'm curious to understand, you know, how you managed your restaurants leading up to COVID, how you adjusted in the middle, hear what the biggest challenge is since uh, restaurants opened back up, you know, were for you. Well, everything is different. Everything is different. Everything is difficult. You got to make the best time out of it. You got to find the best result. I didn't take a, you know, uh, since the COVID uh, pandemic, I took those two weeks to quarantine the whole team. And then I came back. I came back after two weeks. That was probably mid-March. Uh, I, and I didn't stop since then. You know, I, I, I kept clean, clean everything that I, that I could. I went back to basics, uh, which which I loved it. You know, I obviously you know doing the the, the dishes, the mopping, the brooming. That I, I know it's like irrelevant. I could just hire somebody to do that, but I feel good. I feel happy to do that. I feel good to like turn back, like, like you know, twenty some years behind or thirty years behind, and, and be able to do that again, and be able to continue and understand and see. If there's certain things that I move too fast. So what I realize is the growth of a business is a beautiful thing. The growth of a business, you learn a lot of things, but you also slip. You slip on a lot of things. You skip a lot of things. We always talk about, about others that are jumping in steps, but also in business, when you start growing fast, you also jump on things. And I start realizing that during the pandemic. So what I did is I kind of like regroup everything from what happened during the pandemic and I'm putting it, I'm starting everything from kind of like ground zero again, thinking outside of the box, but from one element, which is park. As you said, I have a lot of operations which are not open. I have a lot of operations that I, that I, that I am partners and, and, and owners of, you know, we're talking about Kampai, Jatoba flight, all this, all this, all this, you know, cat card and all these other things that is going on. But, I forgot that the main core business started at a park and I forgot to put all the attention that I can at park. So right now what I'm doing is I'm thinking about park and thinking outside of the box from park and starting from park. So these are the things that I've learned and these are the things that I want to move forward and, 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 and learn from this. And I found out also that if any large companies was utilizing or was having the help of 2000 employees, cut it down to a thousand it might be the same. I don't disagree. Your work, I don't think it would have changed, to be honest with you. So we grew in a way by slipping, by skipping. And those that's what I meant. We skip and sleep because by your success, you're sleeping on some things and you're not waking up every single element of your business. And that's what you have to come back and do it again to understand better your business. So. We're hitting on all the entrepreneurship topics too, eh? I really like it. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> You're amazing. <laughs> what what have the biggest challenges been uh, putting in more hours during COVID, managing, you know, quickly changing operations and guidelines, uh, building, maintaining your staff, getting customers back? What what's what's been the biggest challenge? Well, everything is a challenge. Everything was a challenge. Everything is still a challenge. Uh, but it's an operation that I started myself. So I have to push myself. And don't forget, as any business that I wanted to you know, talk to you about, you, uh, you and, uh, and Pablo, which is you know, two of my close friends, you know, is, is Jonathan, your business did not start out of somebody else's brain, nor other somebody else's hard work. 
nor other somebody else's technology. It started everything from you and Pablo, right? A hundred percent. So my business started hundred percent from me. So if I started that business, if I started that restaurant and I'm, I'm the guy who's working the least hard, then who's going to follow me? Who's going to, who's going to be behind me? Which customer is going to be there to, to support me? Nobody. You have to push yourself. You have to push twice as harder yourself to be, especially because we're in the hospitality restaurant world. If you push twice as, twice as harder, then other people will see the energy, see the positivity. But what, they, what the team does first is that they see the initiative that you're going in. And they see the positivity that you're pouring because you're pouring a, a water. You know, let's say your, your whole team is tired and they're all hot. You're coming with a bucket of ice water and just showering them. How refreshing is that? So that's what you got to be. You got to be that ice cold water that brings them, that wakes them up, that's, that pushes them every day. Is that, is that something that you have to do every day? Fuck yeah, man. Every day we sleep. Every day we wake up. Who told you to stop? I'm so happy that you swore because I don't know if you realize I've been beeping a lot of swear words because I've been going crazy some of the past weeks. Mm-hmm. So that, that puppy's getting beeped out. <laughs> Last question before the fun stuff. One of the biggest joys of eating out is the experience. How have you handled building that experience historically? And also, how have you made changes during the pandemic to, to get it back? I, I worked in a takeout delivery mode. That was, that was the initiative thing that I had to do to change, to bring a little bit of income, to give a little bit of uh, job to my, to my staff. Things are changing. Things are dramatically changing. But for me, is I'm not a guy who waits, right? I don't like to wait. I don't like to, you know, if I make a mistake, I'll make a mistake. But I have to do it and I have to learn. I cannot just wait other people making mistakes and then you jump on it and say, hey, other people made a mistake. I won't make a mistake. No, absolutely not. If I have to be the first one to make a mistake, I will. And I have to and I want to because that's the way you will properly learn what are the mistakes. So I've been just jumping everything Thing, trying to do everything that I can uh, firsthand with the plexiglass, with the patio, redoing the furnitures of the patio, uh, repositioning myself for takeout delivery. There's a lot of things coming in on the takeout delivery side, obviously, because I'm customizing special boxes for different menus. So that's coming very, very soon with the omakase. Uh, so I, I just keep on pushing, man. Never gave up. Your menu is honestly, and I'm really not saying this because I love you, but it's honestly the sickest. I mean... The park takeout menu now, you've doubled it in the it's last everything. few weeks. It's insane. It's actually, it's I'm discovering stuff. And you know what it is to me? I need to see the picture. I need to see like what you're cooking, what it looks like, whatever. You have so many pictures for crazy stuff that I've never seen in the world on your takeout menu. And it's amazing. It's amazing. And oh, thank you, man. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. Uh, so fat now? You know how fat I am? <laughs> you're man. not fat. I saw you last week. What are you talking about? You're not fat. Yeah, but I'm sucking in. <laughs> Stop eating that, that chicken egg. <laughs> okay, you know what? Perfect, perfect thing to say. Because we've arrived to the rapid fire part of the, the conversation. I have a bunch of funny questions. Just answer them quickly. Not, not long, big things required. Like first thing that's to your mind, to the point. First question, being a local chicken farmer, I would love to hear 
you describe how to cook the perfect egg. The perfect egg. There's only one way to cook the perfect egg. Sunny side up. <laughs> you put a you put a pan, you put a the egg, don't flip it, just put a sunny side up, slowly cook it, put a little top on top, finish it with a little fleur de sel. That's How it. many minutes? Medium heat, low heat. Well, me, well, I'll put it at medium heat, two minutes. You put it at medium heat, two minutes. But the whole thing changes when you put a little cover on top. So once you finish cooking, because the top is going to be a little bit, you know, obviously there's the white part that doesn't be cooked. Instead of putting oil on top and topping with oil, just put a little cover. Just put a little cover of a cover of a different pot. Just put a little cover. Look at it from the top and then you'll see how nice it becomes. With a little bit of heat, it's going to kind of like cook the little outside layer which is going to be just beautiful and finish it with a little fleur de sel i like that i gave you a dozen eggs from margal farms last week i think you made one dish with it did you make a second dish yet no i made one dish on that's the next day i went home i made a, a kimchi fried rice i made a very very thin layer of omelet and then i covered it on top are the egg yolks smaller bigger than you're used to seeing they're the same size they're the same size. The only difference with your egg and others' eggs is that the, the, the layer in between the skin and the white egg, there's, there's kind of like that, 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 that transparent skin. Yeah, yeah. That's a bit thicker than, than usual. So what does that mean? Does it uh, keep the eggs in better condition? I think it's just because it's really fresh. I think it's because they're Margal eggs. You almost get it every day, so... <laughs> every day? No, I, I swear I get four eggs a day every single day the last month. You know how many eggs I have? I don't even know what to do with the eggs, man. I'm an egg factory. Seriously. So many eggs. Oh, that's great. That's every great. day, Devin's like, Daddy, I got four more eggs. I'm like, fuck, no more eggs. No more eggs, man. <laughs> Antonio, what are your favorite sports teams? My favorite sports teams, because I kind of like started working so much that I didn't have time to, I don't have time to watch hockey. I don't have time to watch you know, any sports. And, you know, I know that I have a lot of sports athletes that are friends and they are all in different teams and things like that. I don't have any like preference team. The only preference team that I have is the Montreal Canadiens because I live in that city and I have a profound love for the Montreal Canadiens since Patrick Roy back in the days who made me love the Montreal Canadiens. You know, I was a big fan of Patrick Roy. That was the, that was the, gen that was the, the time when I was watching sports on TV. There, there's a lot of favorism, right? So I love the Montreal Canadiens because I love, I live in Montreal. If, uh, if uh, there's a, you know, soccer team playing and they're playing, uh, uh, my friend owns the LA Galaxy. And if my friend's team plays with the Montreal Impact, I'll cheer for the Montreal Impacts. Just because I'm a Montrealer and I protect Montreal and I support Montreal as a nice citizen and as a proud citizen of Montreal. But if we go back 20 years before, 20 years ago, when I used to watch hardcore sports when, and whenever I had time, then, you know, we're going back to the era of when I used to love football, when I used to love, you know, Jerry Rice, you know, I, I used to love like Emmett Smith, Troy Aikman, you know, like, like you know, the, the, baseball, the baseball time of what, when I used to watch baseball, you know, Kirby Pocket, you know, I used to watch the Jose Canseco time, Ricky Henderson time. Um, 
you know, the, the Ken Griffey Jr. time. You know, these are the time when I used to watch hockey, any sports, like basketball. You know, my, my, Michael Jordan was my hero, my hero, you know. So these are the time when it was all in the 90s, right? The 90s, all in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. These are the time where I used to watch hardcore baseball and basketball, football and all the sports. Today, uh, I don't have time, but I, I love to hear about sports. I love uh, when Montreal Canadiens wins. And so that's it, yeah. What is your favorite dish to cook? Uh, my favorite dish to cook is asado parrillada completa. The Argentinian barbecue, churrasqueria, asado, parrillada, chorizo, mojejas, chinchulín. Oh, yeah, that's... that's so I was gonna ask you. <laughs> so I was gonna ask you what's your favorite dish to eat, but it sounds like it's your favorite dish to cook and eat. So I think uh, we can yeah, move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, quick, uh, quick. Next question. Uh, what's your favorite type of cuisine? My favorite type of cuisine is Korean, all Korean food, especially with the soups, because of the memory of my mother. Why is it my favorite cuisine? Why is it something that speaks to my heart and something that that uh, you know comes to the favorism? Because my fav- my mother is the most favorite person in my world. Uh, that's a guarantee. That's a fact. There's not there's nobody who can replace my mother. But the thing is, your my mother, like a lot of mothers in the world, they always took care of their son. So whenever I was sick, whenever I wasn't feeling good, whenever I was down, or whenever. Um, something happened to me she was always there trying to make something for me as a soup something that is healthy something that will push me does something that will give me energy something put put smiles on my face so that's why i my favorite food will be korean food uh, because of my mother who is the highest profile person that you've cooked for before and were you nervous? The different people from, you know, the, the back in the days when it was uh, global warming, uh, the dinner that I did for the global warming people, which is, you know, you know, David Suzuki, Al Gore, all of them was very, very serious cooking. So that was a very serious cooking. But most of the time it comes up to the, all the political people because there's, there's, there's certainly a certain influence with the, with the politicians and talking about you know the the Christian family, the Moroni family, the the Pangimon, Pangimon, which you know he was the head of the United Nations, um, Dalai Lama. Um, yeah, it's it is heavy. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty heavy duty, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but you know, at the end of the day, you know, I cooked it from my heart. Was I was I nervous? No, I'm I'm more nervous to cook something for chefs than uh, than other people's. So. Interesting. Um, yeah, but not, not. I'm not really, you know, nervous. Um, I just want them to be happy at the end of the day. So I'm just putting all my heart and effort to it to make them happy. I like so, that. What is the most obscure food request to date? There's, there's nothing really that really scares me on cooking things or the, the demand that they have. You know, the way that I see it is, you know, there's and the generation that we live today. There's a lot of people that are intolerant towards you know different allergies right uh not only allergies but also you know discomfortness um i just want to make everybody you know satisfied and happy about their what they ask for the thing that i really bothers me sometimes but i understand is that some people come with a lot of different allergies but i know 
most of the things in their allergy zone is not really allergies because I've seen them eat prior to that whatever they ate. But there's 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 really nothing that really uh, you know uh, turned me off or or make me scared or uh, make me worried about cooking certain things. You know, for for me is it's adaptation for me, and is also understanding that everybody is different. We always do something to generalize things, but. Don't forget that every single human being are different and they, they, they want to have something unique for them. So I do understand that, right? So I can't always focus on, on generalizing the food for everybody. I think everybody deserves to have a unique food just for them. And I think that's where, where we come as cooks, you know, to be able to uh, satisfy them. I have a new nickname for you. It's Dr. Antonio. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, by the way, I <laughs> so uh, Pablo, uh, a fellow Argentine, was also Dr. Pablo once. He yeah. didn't believe me that I was lactose intolerant. So our sick friend would, he's like, hey, let me go to Starbucks on the way uh, to the office. And he would purposely get me 2% milk or like dolce de leche milk, like in the cappuccino, like for, for me to prove to him that I was lactose intolerant, Dr. Pablo. <laughs> he did that to me and he needed a second opinion one time wasn't enough no but the, the, the thing is i know you're lactose but some uh, there's a lot of people who go suddenly you know restrictions became like a fashion right and a lot of people are you know I believe for instance that. gluten gluten-free being gluten-free being uh you know lactose intolerant sometimes it's a lifestyle it's a lifestyle yeah it's a lifestyle and and by all means, you have to accommodate that. You know, the, is that the worst part of being a chef? Not really. Accommodate them. At the end of the day, for me, when you accommodate somebody with the restrictions that they have and you don't know how to do it, that means you're just practicing more and you're just getting it better at that. That's it. So some quick answers to some quick questions. What's your favorite non-park restaurant in Montreal? It's a very difficult question. I love uh, a, a nice hamburger and, you know, I was a big fan of Harvey's when I was growing up. Obviously, I was a very poor kid, so I, I love things that was grilled in charcoal. Would you get like three, four pickles on there? I'm a big pickle. <laughs> no, yeah, of course I, I do that. I love Uniburger. I'm not going to say Harvey's today, but you know, it's, that's that's, that's a franchise. I like that, Uniburger. Yeah, I like Uniburger. I like Uniburger on the uh, on the hamburger side. I love Schwartz. Uh, it's always been a staple for me to go to Schwartz. Uh, I like uh, you know uh, San Vieter Vagel, and I also like uh, Fairmont Bagel. I think they're both amazing bagels. I like Milos. It's just something that it's very comforting for me. Uh, uh, I love uh, the steak at Ribbon Reef. I love, uh, I love the steak at Gib Gibby's because it reminds me of uh, back in the days when my father was alive. I used to go to Big uh, Gibby's with my family, with my father. So it's some of the things that are always connected with, with family and father and all that. And Milos is another one that I used to go with my father. So uh, those are the things that I really like, and uh, and talking about uh, you know like Chinatown, I I love Monan, I love uh, Dovinandi, I love uh, Kanki. Uh, Falien is one of my favorite ones too, where we eat the Vietnamese soup. Falien, oh, I can't stop. I can I can just keep on going and going and going. But I like a lot of the overlap. I like a, it, the yeah. fact that there's a little bit of overlap means that I'm eating pretty good, so I'm pretty happy. Yeah. What about in Canada? What about in Canada? What are your favorite restaurants in the country? Uh, there's there's a bunch of them. I love Italian food from Chopinos, which is in Vancouver, with Chef Pino. I really love uh, what he does, and I love uh, the, the passion and the love that he puts into it. 
I love the twist that uh, Nick Liu puts it in Dai Lo uh, in, in Toronto. A lot of people do a little twist in what they do, and that's what I appreciate. Man, there's so many. I like. I love Anju that was in in Calgary. I love Boca in Toronto. Forty West. Forty West is a restaurant that I go once in a while. I'm a I'm a big steak guy, right? So I love steak guy steak places. I like Forty West. I've. You, do you know how many Valentine's Days, birthdays, and anniversaries we've celebrated at Forty West? A lot. I like it there. It's. I think it's always consistent. That this is what I crave for. I crave for consistency and the hard work that they put it into it. Uh, Maison Boulud, which is another one that I really like. Uh, the chef uh, Ricardo is a great, great chef, and I really liked his food. Um, one degree further. What about favorite restaurants in the world? I I love eating in different countries. Well, in Japan, I love eating in Japan. Uh, obviously, depending on what I've craved, like, but. I feel like every restaurant that I go is just great. In Korea, is the same thing. Um, Brazil is almost the same thing. I, I crave for for the connection of my childhood, right? Things that I craved in childhood, things that I loved in childhood. It's always like more older I get, I always look for something that it's comforting for my for my mental uh, <laughs> relaxation and and things that makes me happy. And things that makes me happy is things that makes me think about my childhood. In your opinion, what country has the most underrated, underappreciated cuisine? I think Brazil is underrated because Brazil is amazing. The food in Brazil is amazing. I think Argentina is underrated because I think I mean, Argentinian, their son is Argentina. It's just fantastic, amazing. It doesn't matter where you go at the end of the day. I think South Korea is underrated. Uh, I think Taiwan is majorly under underrated because Taiwan amazing, amazing when it comes to food. Singapore also. Those are things that are coming to my mind. Pablo is going to be very happy. Also, his entire family, they're big listeners to the podcast. So they're going to be super jazzed up to hear that Argentinian and Brazilian food is up there. Antonio, we're nearing the end of the interview. I'm curious, super quick, top three favorite alcohols. Tequila, Japanese whiskey, white beer, like Cheval Blanc. White beer, like a Who Garden? Yeah, who got then? Yeah, like a white beer. I just like white beer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who got like Cheval Blanc? There you go. Quebec. Keep it local. Keep yeah. it local. Yeah, yeah. I like I that. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Hey, you love it. You love. All right. Couple questions from Corey Shapiro. I think he's going to be on the podcast soon. He wants to know why would you acupuncture a fish? There's, it's different techniques, right? So there's there's multiple techniques on killing a fish, or or or, or you know when before. When you catch it, the, the main reason why all that came, acupuncture, you know, put a needle through the spine, you know, ikijime hit, hit the brain of the, the fish to uh, shock him and kill him instantly and bleed out. All those techniques are for, the reasoning of all the technique is to make the fish stay fresher for a long time. So this is why. Uh, all this technique came came in life. The Japanese didn't create the acupuncture because they wanted to make it special. The main guy who acupunctured the fish, he came with that technique because there was a lot of fish that was actually kind of like when you when you go to the supermarket and you see a fish on the shelf for three days. After three days, it smells and it's no longer good. But by putting implementing all these techniques, it actually lasts for five to a week, five days to a week. So these are the reason to sustain a little longer, to make them a little bit more fresher, to be able to to respect your ingredient. I think those are the reasons why uh, 
acupuncture came on board, and that's what I believe. Are fat as fish tastier? Fat is always more, more tastier. Bacon, Kobe beef, fat. Things that comes with, with fat is always better because there's the oil component in there that you got to work on it, and, and, and it's always much more uh, tastier than, than lean fish. Lean fish is something that is it's unique. You have to know how to play with it too. But a fat fish is tastier also and also less hard to cook if you're cooking at home and things like that. But not everybody loves uh, fat fish, by the way. Not, not everybody does, yeah. I do. I definitely do. Yeah. You like fat fish like toro, the, the higher end of the fish. But don't forget that also we, we have a blue, fa- blue fish family, which is the, the mackerel, the horse mackerel. These are also very fatty fish. Like bluefin tuna or a different kind of fish? No, no, no. Like, like mackerel, for instance. Mackerel is a very fatty fish. But a lot of people don't like mackerel because it smells. You know what? Is it on the takeout menu? No, it's not on the takeout menu. It's seasonal. Because I kind of wanted some mackerel tonight. Yeah, it's a seasonal thing. <laughs> okay, last question about Corey because I'm going to ask him the same question about you. So here's your yeah. chance for uh, first licks. If Corey was a fish, what kind of fish would he be? It's going to be a blowfish. <laughs> That's what he Corey is a blowfish. <laughs> Very strong. Very good. <laughs> but blowfish is pretty cool. They have a very strong defense mechanism. Whenever you attack them, they blow out and they have this spine, so you can't really kill them. Uh, and uh, and uh, and they're delicate, you know. They have a delicacy. It's 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 a very unique fish, and, and Corey is a unique guy. He's a special fish. <laughs> special. Antonio, what is your favorite type of bread? My favorite type of bread, it's called chipa. Chipa is a, is a type of bread that we eat in Argentina, and is a cheese bread that you make it, and and that's chipa is the best bread in the world for me. What is your favorite spice? My favorite spice is Montreal steak spice, by far. Nice. What do you put that on that I wouldn't realize? You can put that on anything. You can mix it together with vegetables, chicken, meat, uh, fish. Uh, you can put it on anything. Obviously, you have to make sure that you put a little less when you put it on fish because it's much more delicate. A little bit more on the steak because a steak has a strong flavor to it. But, but I love Montreal steak spice and I think it goes, uh, it goes on everything. Do you want your kids to grow up in the restaurant industry or pave their own path? I absolutely. That question, I always tell my children, I don't want them to grow in the restaurant industry. It's not a bad industry. I'm not telling them to, you know, if they want to be there in the future, by all means, please go ahead. But it's not an industry where I want them to get in because uh, they will have no life. If they work like me, they will have no life. They'll have uh, work, work, uh, work, work, and work. And you know, it's not it's not new. The restaurant industry, we already know that you have to put a lot of times and effort to it, and it's not new. So, hopefully, uh, they'll they'll draw their path and they'll do something that they love. And I always tell them, do something that you love and try to make money off something that you love. Like that, you'll be happy forever. I love that. Baby Aiden's a lucky baby. Yeah. What are your favorite cities to travel? Tokyo for sure, Seoul for sure. Uh, places that I kind of like grew up. That's okay. There's uh, six cities. You know, Buenos Aires, Sao Paulo, uh, 
Rio, Mexico City. I love Mexico City. I love Bogota, Colombia. I'm very much into Asia and South America, right? It's just because my culture has been towards there. So, so I feel very home when I go to South America. It doesn't matter which city it is. I feel very, very like coming back home. And then in Asia also, whenever I go, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm back home again. It's like Montreal, you know, Montreal. But the funny thing is, wherever I travel, and then when I come back to Montreal and the plane lands in the, in the airport, when it, as soon as it lands on the ground, I'm like, oh, I'm home. <laughs> it's a good home. It's a good yeah, home. So, it's cold, so but Montreal, it's good. Montreal is home. What's your favorite type of empanada? Uh, empanada, it's, it's, so when I was a child, I used to love the empanada or jamón y queso, which is ham and cheese. And kosher then, or not kosher? Uh, the, 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 no, it's pork. No, no kosher. kosher, no kosher. No kosher, no kosher. But, and then the, <laughs> the, the other one, the other one that I like is the original, which is the egg, beef, and olives. Those are, the, 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 that, that's one of my favorites. Finally, Antonio, last question of the interview what does your current sneaker rotation look like today? MNDs, that's probably on the least. MNDs, Easy's, uh, Jordans. I love sneakers, so so I'm going towards that, and that's it. It's basically, those three things that I combine. But obviously, MNDs have so different models, and then you have like like uh, um, the Jordans have different models also, and then you also have when it's like. Uh, the easiest, which is Adidas, also, but the Nike. I love the Nike and Adidas world. If I, if you, I, I used to be a big fan since way back. So I used to be a big fan of of Reebok Pump. I, I like the pumps. I actually own a yeah, couple pairs of the pumps. pumps. Yeah, yeah. I love the pumps. I the love. Uh, I don't know if you, I don't know if you remember back in the days there used to be a, show, a shoe called the Mohawk. I don't know it. Yeah, the Mohawk. I I love the Mohawks. Um, you know, Converse. I love, but. But I also really love the new generation of shoes. What do you like? The materials, the colors, the shapes? A little bit more expensive. A little bit more expensive side where you go into the, the Gucci world, the LD. And, you know, it's fun, but it's just very pricey, you know? Look, you know what? You, you deserve it. You earned it. You're allowed to get into the, to the freaky crazy yeah. shit now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what? That's, that's a big part of why we love each other is the love for sneakers. And, and you, oh, promised yeah. me, you promised me in Tokyo, you want, uh, you want sneakers? Bring an extra luggage for sneakers. I think you still owe me that because we didn't really go shopping together. No, we didn't go. We didn't go by next the trip, shoe, next trip. Next trip. Next trip. Antonio, man. I'm so happy that we got to do this. Thank you so much for your time, for being so chill. I, I, I think it was the perfect blend of, of honestly, just natural conversation. There's a lot of amazing things that you said that really, really hit home. You're, you're amazing. You're wonderful. You're an inspiration to, to me. You're a dear friend. I love you so very much. You're a big part of my life and, and you will be moving forward. And, and I just appreciate you so very much. Thank you very much, buddy. It's a great time. I always uh, love spending time with you. you know? We always have great times together, but you no, know, it's, it's, it's a, I think is because we kind of like think alike, but also not think alike. Like, that's what keeps it interesting do you have any last words that you want to say if not gonna call you we're gonna talk about how it went and uh catch up a little bit yeah i think you know I, I, for for everybody who's listening there's a road there's a road for every single one of us is not is not drawn it's not 
is not crafted, nor nor is 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 like there's a we have a direction. We have to find that direction to go towards our future. It's going to be difficult. It's always going to be bumpy. Uh, but uh, never give up. Believe in your star. Believe in the dream that you have, and believe in in the stars that you want to go get it and go get it. Be a go getter. You're inspiring me to be a go getter right now. Uh, go getter. Uh, don't 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 stay back. It's not uh, time to stay back. It's time to push yourself to become better. And people around you will appreciate that. But at the same time, when you're a father and you're a husband, they'll also follow you uh, towards the direction that you go. It's it's just a beautiful thing. You're a beautiful thing, Antonio. Thank you for everything again, my dude. And much appreciated. I'm going to see you very, very soon. I love you, buddy. I love you too, man. Be good. Thank you. Ciao, bro. Bye, brother. Episode 16 is a wrap. I'm really happy the way that one went. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did when I hit record. Shout out again to my guy, Captain Kaplan. We've been going hard each and every week for over four months now. Wow. Special shout out to my guy at Philly Flips. Phil is an absolute beauty putting together all the visuals each and every week, coming up with crazy ideas. That's a lot of fun, man. Thank you for everything, bro. Last but not least, I wanted to thank Pablo and Chris for hooking me up each week. I'm always coming to you both. Last, last, last second. I need 10 more questions. Give me some interesting ideas right now. And you both come through. And thank you to the listeners. So many funny DMs, comments, ideas. It's really fun interacting with you all and rekindling old friendships. It's so much fun. Thank you to everyone. You're all beauties. We're nearing the end of season one and there's a lot of great episodes hiding in there. For all of you who haven't listened to every episode, don't worry. They're not that hard to catch up on. We are available everywhere that podcasts are found. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, anything. Thank you once again for rocking with us and take care of yourselves. All right. Peace.